Well, welcome, church. As we are gathered here today, um, we're going to join together in prayer as we continue on the book of Ruth. Jesus, we ask, as we are gathered together in all kinds of places and spaces, we are thank you for the technology that allows us to gather. Though we are separated in body, we are united in spirit under the banner of you, Jesus. And we ask that wherever each one of us are watching this, that you would help to quiet our minds, you would quiet our hearts, you would help us to focus on you, to learn from you, that we would have the wisdom to hear what you have to say to us and apply whatever it is that you would have us to change our lives. In the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. So we're traveling through the book of Ruth, and today we're going to talk about a subject that happens um, to all of us. In fact, I think today is going to be helpful regardless of where you are in your faith. And what I mean by that is for some of us, you're joining us, and you are really, really new. You're trying to figure out what the deal is with God, with Jesus, with the Bible. Uh, for some of us, you've been going to church for a long time. You have been to churches for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. In fact, perhaps this is the first time for you that you have not been at an actual church building. And no matter where you are in your faith, in fact, no matter where you are in life, we have all dealt with this subject because the subject is simply this. It's regret. We all have regrets. As we look back at our lives, we see that there are some things that if we could do anything, we would take that time back. We would take that season back. We would take that decision back. And for some of us, when we think about the difficulties in life, the difficulties in life in, in many ways are from the unforeseen, right? All of a sudden, you're going through life, you're executing your business, you're with your family, and then a global pandemic shifts the entire world. And you were headed in the right direction. Your business was headed in the right direction. Your family was headed in the right direction. And now everything is disrupted because basically our existence has just totally changed. Um, perhaps for you it's the unforeseen that because of what's happening right now in, in our country and in our world, you don't know where the next paycheck is coming from. Uh, perhaps for you it's that you don't know who's going to watch your kids. And life can be incredibly disruptive. But if we're being honest... Most of the difficulties, most of the things that stick with us the longest aren't a result from the unseen. They aren't a result from the things that we can't control. It's the opposite. We have deep regrets from the decisions that we have made in life. We have deep regrets from the things that we have done. In fact, the things that I find that stick with us the longest are the consequences of the decisions that we made. Now, if you were to look at regret. Here's what we'd almost all find as we, as we kind of do a biopsy on regret. Number one is this, is that the regret, regret is often a result of compromise. Regret is often a result of compromise. At some point, there was a decision that was supposed to be made, and in making that decision, there was this compromise. Now, everybody's different with this, but perhaps for you, you were on a business trip, and you know you shouldn't have looked at that. You know you shouldn't have messaged that person. But there was a sense of compromise. For you, perhaps, it was you were in college and you were looking to date somebody. You were kind of feeling lonely. And you knew that person wasn't the right person for you. You know you shouldn't have said yes to that date. But something inside of you longed to say yes. And so you said yes. And there was this compromise. And, in fact, the older you are, the more you know this. As you look back at life, you wish like anything that you could go back and tell your 18-year-old self this, your 25-year-old self this, your 35-year-old self this, that, that perhaps there's an addiction that you're fighting right now. Perhaps what you turn to every night is to release from the pressure of the day is you turn to the drink. Perhaps to release from the pressure that you feel at work, 
You turn to seek gratification in somebody that you shouldn't. Now, the truth is, is this isn't an accusatory idea. We all have regrets. And so today I kind of want to take a step back from our regret and say, what causes that? What is the thing or the set of things that if we were just going to do a biopsy and study our regrets, what is it that we can learn that perhaps sets us up to live a life without regrets? And I don't mean that in the typical, like, no regrets type of way, but in a way that's honest and sincere, that if we could do anything, we would live life with less regrets. So here's a quick study on regret. When most of us look at the thing or the decision that we wish we could take back, here's what we see. We see compromise in that regret is an event. So at the point of the event, there was a compromise. Again, you made the decision, you decided not to save, you decided to turn on that computer, you decided to say yes to that date, whatever it was, you said yes to something, and we oftentimes look through the lens of compromise as an event. But here's the truth, is that compromise is not an event. Compromise is a habit. There is almost always, for life's deepest regrets, for life's deepest mistakes, there's almost always a continuation of decisions that have been made that led us to that. In other words, we get in the habit of making decisions of compromise. This is why, for many of us, when we look back at life, if you look at the biggest mistake that you've ever made, there was a series of decisions that led to that mistake. And sometimes we look at it as if it's in a tunnel. And when we see it, it seems like, man, there was just this one mistake, this one mistake, this one mistake that was made. But if we're being honest, most of our mistakes are, again, are the consequence of a series of mistakes. When I was in youth ministry, I used to talk with people who, uh, you know, they would, we'd counsel and they'd say, man, I, I went too far with my boyfriend. I went too far with my girlfriend. And I'd say, well, you can tell me about what happened. And well, don't tell me about what happened because that gets weird. But like, tell me about what led to what happened. And, and so they'd say, well, you know, we were just, you know, we were in this situation and nobody was home and it was just us. And, and, and this is what happened. And I'd say, okay, well, well, what happened to get you in that? Well, we knew somebody wasn't going to be home. But we decided to go there. Was, okay. So that's a mistake. Okay. So, so what time were y'all hanging out? Well, it was pretty late. And, and what we begin to uncover was that there were a series of mistakes, a series of, of small justifications that they made. And in the process, the result was the event. Because we get in habits. We either get in habits of high character or we get in habits of high compromise. But almost all of us have a decision-making pattern that is described by character or by compromise. In fact, here's what I would guess. If you look at the people with the fewest regrets, if you look at the people who can look at their life and they're just the person that you see and you see, man, I know you're not perfect, but you do so much stuff right, here's what we find. The people with little regret are people with great character because character is the opposite of compromise. And both of them are habits that we develop. So here's where we find ourselves in Ruth. If you've been tracking, then you know this, but if you're not, this is a bit of an overview for what we've been talking about. Ruth happened in the time of the judges. 
It was, a t- it was a time of radical individuality. So everybody did what was right in their own mind, which led them to a totally immoral, totally depraved way of, of living. They lived as if there was no God. They lived in a way that was just totally gratifying for, them, for their own nature. So what this basically meant was that they treated foreigners horribly and women worse. And worst of all, if you were a foreign woman. Now, there was a lady by the name of Ruth who was a Moabite woman. She married a son of a lady named Naomi. And when she married Naomi's son, the son passed away. And Naomi and Ruth basically had this bond, this relationship, where Naomi and Ruth in chapter 1 are about to part. But Ruth decides, no, I'm going to stay with you. Your God is going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people. Incredible declaration of faith. Well, chapter 2 begins to start the, the rest of the narrative. As Ruth is going one day, they go back to Bethlehem. As they're walking into the city and as they're trying to figure out how they're going to get provided for, Ruth decides she's going to go to work in this field. And she sees this guy, Boaz. Now, Boaz was a man of incredible character. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, that he was an upstanding man or an upright man or he was a good guy. So he had a good sense of integrity. Well, he sees Ruth in the field and he says, who is that? And they tell her she's Ruth and here's her story. Here's the tragedy that has fallen. Now, when we hear the story of Ruth and the story of tragedy, that she was a Moabite woman who married an Israelite man who then had her husband die and then moved to the city where she knew nobody and she was going to be the lowest of the low in the social totem pole, even though that's not right, it was the reality of their day. We hear that, and it seems like this story of incredible tragedy. Who wouldn't have a heart for that? But for them, it was the opposite. They lived in a culture that might made right. Might made right. If I have the power, then I can do whatever I want to whomever I want to do it to. And so these were the people who were almost universally taken advantage of, assaulted. But Boaz sees Ruth. Boaz, being a man of integrity, stands up and says, hey, nobody touch her. Nobody touch her. In fact, I want you guys to leave some places, some grain, so that when she goes into the field, she can take some of that grain with her. He was very charitable. He was very others-focused. In fact, they had a way that was extraordinary for providing for people, for the marginalized. When they would have a field, they would leave kind of the corners and the edges of the field for the people who are marginalized to go pick. And this was the idea. We're going to leave the margins to the marginalized. Well, he said, not only the margins are for her, but I want you to leave some of the choice grain for her. He was a provider, and he said, by the way, I don't want anybody to touch her. He was a protector. And so Ruth kind of comes under the covering and under the protection and under the provision of Boaz. Well, what happens to happen is Ruth goes home and says to, you know, mother-in-law, Naomi, Naomi, you wouldn't believe this guy, Boaz, I mean, he just took care of me. He was extraordinary. He did so much good. And, and Naomi says, are you kidding me, Boaz? He's part of our family. Now, this was a different culture, but in their culture, they had what was called a kinsman redeemer, which meant it was the part of the family, and someone who was a part of the family would marry someone if, if their husband died. They would kind of adopt them as their wife, and they would be the one that would provide for them. And so she says, you know, you need to continue to go to that field. And so Naomi, in saying that, Ruth continues to go day after day to this field with Naomi, with her blessing to the field of Boaz. Now, if you'll join me, we're going to read chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, 
Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? In other words, my daughter, I want to seek some provision for you. Now, here's what we're about to find out. (laughs) This is one of the shadiest parts of the Bible. Um, This is something that there is a lot of interpretive discussion on what Naomi's thoughts were, what the meaning were, uh, was, but what we're going to find out is, is this was just pretty shady. She says, I want to make sure I'm, that I'm providing for you. So is not Boaz our relative? The answer is yes. With whose young women you were? The answer is yes. See, he was winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Now, I know all of us know exactly what that means because, like, dude, I, speaking of apocalypse that just happened, like, I just got done winnowing some barley at the threshing floor. Now, let me explain what this meant. In kind of the corner of the field, once all the harvest was collected, they would toss up kind of the wheat, or they'd toss up all what, what, they've, what they have, and the, the breeze would take away part of the bad parts of what they had harvested, and what was, what was valuable was left. So this was basically, this is payday. They have been working day after day, week after week, almost nonstop to collect, collect, collect. And she's saying, okay, we need to leverage this situation. Um, It's payday. So they're going to be down there. Everybody's going to be happy. Everybody's going to be in a good mood because they're going to be getting paid. And so I want you to go down there. But before you go down there, um, I want you to wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go, in Bible language, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Now, this is one of the things that does preserve through all of culture. It was the same a couple thousand years ago when this story was recorded. This is, this is the basic advice that Naomi is giving to Ruth. This is not good advice. This is very compromise-filled advice. This is what she says. <clears throat> Ruth, it's time to make your move. Today is payday, and no one's in a bad mood on payday. So, Ruth, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the threshing floor. I want you to have a conversation uh, with Boaz. In fact, I want you to wait to have the conversation with Boaz. I don't actually want you to have a conversation. I want you to get your best dress on. I want you to take a bath. I want you to anoint yourself, throw some perfume on. I want you to wait till he's figured out how much money he's made. He's got all this wealth now. Um, I want you to wait till he's gotten full because everybody's in a happy mood after they've eaten. We don't want any hangry people around. So I want you to wait till he's full and I want you to wait till he's had a bunch to drink and he's laying down on the floor. (laughs) And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and uncover his legs, which in their culture was a big deal. And I want you to cover yourself partly with that blanket. And when he wakes up, because he's inevitably going to wake up because that's a really weird thing to do. um, I want you to say, hey, I'll do whatever you want. Now, you don't have to, be a, have, have to be a hermeneutical interpretive genius to figure out this is at best shady advice and at worst downright deceptive and sinful advice. But here's what's interesting. This was the pathway of Naomi. You see, Naomi's family left the place of Bethlehem when a, when a harvest or when, when, a, when a drought hit. All of a sudden, times got tough, and they decided, we're going to desert God's place, and we're going to go to Moab. She watched, and we don't know that she was was championing it, but it doesn't seem like she was advocating against the fact 
that her sons would marry Moabite women. You see, Naomi's path and past in habit was essentially a habit that was filled with compromise. Now, Ruth, in hearing this, basically says, okay, okay, I'll do it. And so chapter 3, verse 5, and she replied, all that you say, I'll do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of the grain. Now, granted, she did say, I want you to pay attention to where he lies down because I don't want you just covering oven covering anybody's legs. This needs to be Boaz's legs. And so she watches. He, he sits down or lies down at the end of the heap, kind of out of the way. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and <laughs> turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. Now, you got to think about this through the, the lens of Boaz. He just got paid. He just got fed. He just had a little bit to drink. And my man is laying at the end of the threshing floor. And all of a sudden, he uncovers. And there's just this lady that's lying there. Here's what I think is interesting. When we have our moments where there is a decision, are we going to compromise or are we going to be of character? Are we going to compromise or are we going to be of character? Here's what I find. It's very rarely expected. It just seems like all of a sudden out of nowhere that new business idea or that new business proposition that we, if we just compromise a little bit, perhaps it will take us in an incredibly profitable direction. Often we don't see that coming. You see, compromise happens in a moment. It's a split-second sometimes decision that am I going to be a person of character or am I being a person of compromise? And so Boaz is just laying there. It's payday. Legs get uncovered, and he looks down, and there's this lady that's lying down at his feet. So he said, and reasonably so, who are you? In other words, what in the world's going on? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, what's interesting about this is this deviates away from what, what Naomi said to do. At this point, Ruth starts to take this into her own hands and say, okay, I need to have some character of my own. What Naomi said was, go lay at his feet and do whatever he tells you to do. What Ruth says is, I am Ruth, and you are Redeemer. Now, what he understood and knew from this was that this meant a kinsman Redeemer. In fact, the same way that, that Ruth says, spread your wings over me. In chapter 2, she said very similar language. Or, in fact, Boaz said very similar language. When he spoke to Ruth and he says, I, you know, we are going to act in a way and we're going to pray that God provides for you, and she's basically saying, Boaz, you are the kinsman redeemer. You are to the answer to the prayer that we prayed a chapter ago. It goes on. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after younger men, whether poor or rich, 
And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you were a worthy woman. In other words, they've all seen the way that you've worked. Ruth, they have all seen the character that you lived in. They see that you are a character-filled, integrity-filled person, not because of what I'm seeing now, but because of what I've repeatedly seen in your life. And now it's true that I am a redeemer. Yet, this is extraordinary, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Now, can you imagine the character of Boaz? They didn't have a wedding ceremony in their day. In the Israelite community, when two people came together, when two people basically slept together, had sex together, that was the consummation of a marriage. This would have been sufficient. They didn't need to have this gigantic ceremony, this gigantic thing. She could have said, you are my kinsman redeemer. I am with you. I will do whatever you want me to. I want you to be my husband. He could have said, absolutely. Boaz, having just got paid, having just eaten, having just perhaps had some wine, laying down, finds this woman who's at his feet, and she basically says, whatever you want, I am your redeem me, help me, be with me. Boaz has the humility to say, holy cow, you want to be with me? Like you could have been with all these other guys, all these other younger guys, but you want to be with me? And she basically, you know, has already communicated yes. And he says, but let me have the awareness of character that there's actually somebody who's closer to you in a family line. I am so excited about our future together. I hope it works out, but I have got to be person of character. So he explains this. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I, so remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But he is, if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. So lie down until the morning. You see, here's what we find in this story. Naomi gave compromising advice. And Boaz, in a moment, has a decision to make. But Boaz's decision to live as a person, a man after God's heart, a man of faith, a man of character, was preceded by a lifetime of character decisions. You see, here's what we find in this story. That both of their decisions, Naomi's compromise and Boaz's character, were the continuation of the previous decisions. No one was surprised by either of their decisions. For Naomi, it was a story of character. It was a, I mean, there's a story of compromise. It was a story and a habitual tendency to compromise. But from Boaz, from Boaz, I mean, all throughout chapter 2, he does the right thing. He does the integrity-filled thing. He does the thing of extraordinary character. And so at the moment, at the moment, at the moment of decision, I don't think for Boaz it was as a decision. I think he was so used to being a person of character, that person of character had developed into a habit. Over a lifetime, it had developed into a habit. And so when Boaz is looking at this situation, he doesn't capitulate. He does the next reasonable thing to do, which is to make the decision described by character and described by integrity. In fact, I'd say it this way. That character is tried in a moment. It's tried in a moment. The decision's here, but it's developed over a lifetime. What happens over the lifetime defines what happens in that moment. Let me just pause and say this. We are a group of people 
who continually and often repetitively and often habitually make compromises. And I think sometimes in life we just get to the point where we don't know, we don't know how we got in the situation we're in. We look at some decisions that we made, we look at some events that happened, but some of us, let's be honest, we live with deep regret. But isn't this true? For many of us, the reason is, is because we had a pattern and a habit over time of compromise and compromise and compromise and compromise. And we look at the moment that happened. And we think, oh man, I wish I would have decided different. But if we were again to biopsy our life, what we would find is this, that the thing that we decided, the direction that we decided was simply the continuation of what's already happened. And it happens in a moment, but it is set up by a lifetime of character and integrity. Here's how the story finishes. So they lay at his feet until morning, but arose before anyone can recognize another. And he said, let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garments you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. This was a big provision for her. She went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare? <laughs> what happened? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. So she replied, Wait. Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest but we'll settle the matter today. Because here's what she knew. She knew that Boaz was a person of character. Now, here's, here's the point. What would unfold because of how Boaz would think and work and operate and the character that he would operate under? Is Boaz would marry Ruth. We're going to find that out in the next chapter. Boaz and Ruth would have a kid, and their kid would have a kid, and through Boaz and Ruth's line would come King David. Because of King David, through the line of King David, the covenant of God would be moved along. And eventually, through the line of David, a promise that had been promised to Abraham long, long ago would come to fruition. And his name was Jesus. That smack dab in the middle of redemptive history was Boaz's decision, his declaration to be a man of character. And you cannot miss this. This was preceded by a lifetime of small decisions defined by character. Here's the point. You want to be a person of character that glorifies God in your life? You do it daily. And when the mega hits, when the unexpected hits, when that decision hits, when that option or the opportunity to compromise hits, you will make the right decision because you have developed a habit of doing that over and over and over and over again. So let me ask this question. This is the take-home question that I would say we all need to sit with and think about. Simply this. Are your daily decisions... The decisions that you are making every day, are your daily decisions creating a habit of character or compromise? Let me ask you this a different way. When no one's looking, when no one's going to know, do you make decisions of character or of compromise? When no one's going to know that you clicked up that site on the internet, when no one's going to know that you, that you waded off into pornography, when no one's going to know that you misspent what God has given you to steward in your money, when no one's going to know, in fact, no one's going to ask, 
What do you do when nobody's looking? And here's the beautiful thing. We have the opportunity. If anybody, inside of your heart, you're saying, man, I know I'm a person of compromise, and I don't want to be that anymore. There is grace for that. God loves us not because we're good, not because we're lovable, because we're not. We have the opportunity to turn from that and say, Jesus, man, I want to live for you fully. For some of us, that's for the very first time. It's not that we earn our way into God's good graces by being good, but because God loves us, we are compelled to live for him. You see, with my son, man, we hang out all the time and we play golf in the yard a bunch and we do a bunch of stuff. I hope he never gets to the point where he feels like if I don't play very well, if I don't school very well, my dad will not be happy with me. I love him no matter what happens. But I hope he is compelled by the fact that I love him to become everything that he can become in life. For you and for me, the idea is that we can be people of character, not because we're trying to make God happy, but because God is already happy with us, we are then compelled to live for him. We are then compelled to be people of character. We are then compelled to in a world where the entire world is in a panic because there is such uncertainty. There is so much unrest. We don't know where the paycheck is coming from. We don't know who's taking care of the kids. We don't know when school is going to start back, when sports are going to start back. For some of you, you don't know if you're ever going to be back in Tallahassee because the last time you were in Tallahassee, you were in school, and you thought you were coming back after spring break. You went home and realized your college existence is now over. But isn't this true? That we have the opportunity in a world of complete unrest to be people of character. When unrest happens, when the world is turned upside down, the opportunities for compromise are all over the place. But we have the opportunity to be a people, a men, and a women of faith who choose to trust in God, who choose to be defined not by the compromises we make and the profitability that ensues, but to be defined by people of incredible integrity, incredible character. And in fact, I'd say this. If you're listening, and part of your hesitancy about God and Jesus and Christianity is the fact that you have over and over and over seen people who are Christians who said they were people of character, believe in a God who instills character, yet at the same time lived as if there was no God. You would think different. You would think different if Christians actually did this. And let's be honest. For every single person, every single one of us, this is universally true. We would love to get to the end of our life. We would love to get to the end of our life and have very few regrets. We would love to get to the end of our life and be one of the people who, as we look back at the span of what has happened in our existence, we did everything we could under our power to glorify God and live fully for him. So let me be very pointed. What's the compromise that's happening in your life? What's the compromise that you know is not defined by character? It's not defined by integrity. It's that small decision that right now is this tiny justification. But you know, if it grows, it will inevitably become a life changer. Whatever that is, whatever that is, I am praying that God gives us the power, the ability to turn from that 
to walk towards him and live a life of integrity. That we would not be defined by our compromise, but in a time of unrest, we would be defined by our character. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that you would give us the wisdom and the discernment. The wisdom to identify the places in our life, because we all have them. Places of small compromise. Places where we've made decisions. That we know if we keep making decisions like that, it's going to lead us to a destination we never want to go to. Would you give us the perspective to see where those compromises lead? And would you give us the willingness to engage in the fight? To be men and women. Women and men of faith, women and men of integrity, women and men of character. That in a world where we see the Naomi's, the compromise as the profitable, and as long as the means justify the ends and the ends justify the means, it doesn't really matter that you would make us a world full of Ruth and Boaz, character-filled people, and that Jesus' people would see you through our lives and that you would change history through us. Would you give us the wisdom to see it and the courage to act on it? And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, thank you so much for joining us online. We love you. Have a wonderful rest of your week and know that we are praying for you and we can't wait to connect back together as a church family.